When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Knife Talk is sponsored by Even Heat, the manufacturer of the finest knife heat treat ovens available. Find your next heat treat oven at evenheat-kiln.com. So welcome to Knife Talk. Now today I'm having a chat with Nicholas Nichols from Nichols Family Forge on Instagram, which is a bit of a mouthful to say, but I managed to do it. So, so hey Nicholas, how are you? I'm doing great. How about you? I'm very good. Very good. So I've, I've invited Nicholas on the show as not only is he a great knife maker, but he's also a classically trained chef. So I'm hoping he can talk us through what makes for a great chef's knife. But, but first of all, let, let's talk about your knives. So how long have you been making knives? Um, I dabbled in knife making starting in 2014. Hmm. Um, I have like jumped way into it in 2015. So I guess I've got a, a, a little over two years underneath my belt here. Um, if my math is correct. <laughs> and, and what sort of got you into that? So did you come straight from the sort of chefing world into making knives? How did that happen? I guess everybody that's been on this channel has had a, had a love affair with, with knives and mine started at a very, very young age, you know, with, with pocket knives and hunting knives and things of that nature. But, Whenever I fell backwards into the cooking thing, I uh, I just got fascinated with knives and wanted something and wanted to be able to, you know, have something different than everybody else did. And mm. I uh, always wanted to make my own knives, but I just never figured out how. And I was a hobbyist blacksmith and kind of got away from the, you know, I want to make a knife, I want to make a knife. And uh, just happened to chance on a, a gentleman I sold a leg vice to. He, uh, he was making railroad spike knives. And of all the things that I got, fell in love with i started making railroad spike knives and then it just kind of morphed into this <laughs> i guess the journey that i'm on now then the obsession began absolutely <laughs> so tell us about that the very first knife that you'd made was that was that one of the railroad spike knives uh no actually the very very first knife that i made was a a knife out of a a, a Nickerson, nicholson file um nickerson file i guess and i uh was just at my father's shop and there was a bunch of files laying around and I got bored and I had seen these guys making these paracord knives and I was like, that'd be kind of neat to make. And it just kind of went on from there. And I actually give it to a really good friend of mine and he still uses it today. And I've tried to talk him out of it. And I said, I'll give you something else. If you'll just let me have that back, that way <laughs> nobody else will see it, but he actually loves it. So <laughs> I think we all feel about that, about our first knives. It's something that we Absolutely. wish we could change or we, yeah, we could improve on. Yeah. <laughs> so, so do you have a forge at home? I do. Um, I have a, uh, I have a forge at home. It's actually in a, um, I live in a, a domesticated neighborhood in uh, Southeastern North Carolina and it's, it's in my garage. So um, a couple belt grinders, um, a nice brand new chili forge that I just recently um, happened upon, and a beautiful anvil, and oh, I do it all right there. Lovely. It sounds sounds idyllic. <laughs> 
So we all know that when it comes to, to kitchen knives, there isn't really a, a knife that does everything, you know, from filleting to slicing to chopping and all the rest of it. So with your chef hat on now, if you could only have one knife in the kitchen, what would that be? I would say it would be a Santuco style or a um, a, a German style smaller knife, like something about, you know, four to six inches. Hmm. Like, like um, sort of a, a paring knife, that kind of thing, is it? Uh, something with a little bit more heft to it, though. That way I could oh, do some okay. chopping if I had to. I guess some people call it a vegetable knife. Hmm. But, um, you know, just something something smaller. That way, if I needed to, I could get in there and trim out some bones. If I uh, if I had a, a bag of carrots to chop, I could do it. It might not be fun, but I could. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, so you'd prefer a sort of Japanese-style sort of flat edge knife to something with a bit more of a Western curve as, as your main sort of large knife? Uh, I prefer – I do prefer the, the Japanese-style um, – I don't really make that, but, you know, I think your customers kind of dictate what you do. But I definitely uh, I prefer that. But I don't know if that was because I was, you know, trained by some by some in, gentlemen from England. And that was what they preferred. Um, you know, you kind of it's kind of like when it comes down to voting, you kind of vote how your parents did until you don't know any better. Yeah. Um, yeah. It's what <laughs> it's what you know as well, isn't it? So if you absolutely put, if you put the absolutely. hours in using a certain style of knife, that feels comfortable to you and anything else yes, feels, sir. feels a little bit alien. Yeah. So let's talk about that. You know, this this hallowed, perfect, balanced knife for a chef. How much credence do you give that the, you know, the perfect balanced knife? Because I've got opinions on that, which uh, I don't think there is such a thing as a perfect balanced knife. I, I mean, I, I think that you're talking about like whether a knife's dead feeling or not, or if it's got like, heel weight hmm. or toe like towards the tip weight. Is that what you're speaking about? Exactly. Yes. Yeah. I mean, if you, if you give somebody a a knife, particularly somebody who's maybe not a trained chef, they're typically going to balance it around the sort of ricasso and see if it's going to see if it's going to flatten out. Um, I don't think that really matters. I'm not yeah. trying to cut you off, but I I, I don't um. I don't think that matters at all, and I could be wrong, but in my in my professional experience with cutting thousands and thousands and thousands of pounds, whether it be potatoes or onions or or, or taking apart, you know, sides of beef and mm. deboning things of that nature, it I think that your your hand naturally adapts to it. I think that that goes back to whenever people talk about the perfect steel for a particular thing. I mean, I think it's it, chef says as a general rule are very, very, very adaptive creatures. You know, mm. we can, um, I did a whole lot of catering and we would go into places and they wouldn't have onion ovens and they wouldn't have, um, fryers and they wouldn't have burners. And you just kind of had to adapt with what you go with. And that's kind of the way that I felt about a knife until I, until I learned a little bit more, but it still goes back to that. You know, most of my knives aren't balanced at the Ricasso. Hmm. And I completely um, agree, too. I think, you know, it depends what you want to do with a knife. You know, if you wanted to chop with, I suppose you want a bit more weight on the handle, slices, mm-hmm. maybe a lighter handle, that kind of thing. Yeah. Yeah. And I feel, and I don't know if, you, if you've noticed this or not, but I think that most of the the handmade knives, whether they be forged or they be um, stock removal, their majority of them are super, super light. And people are enamored with that as well. You know, yes, yeah. the, the lighter it is, the faster it'll move. And the, 
I don't know that I believe that either. <laughs> and I suppose there's trends as well, isn't there? You know that you know absolutely things. You know things will be in vogue for a while, then people will you know somebody of of importance will say, "Oh no, I prefer a heavier knife." Then everybody wants a heavier knife, and yeah, that kind yeah. Of if Emeril Lagasse come out and said it was the best thing, or Thomas Keller came out and said this is the end all be all, I think that people would gravitate towards that. Yes, and I yeah. think a lot of that has happened in the knife world as well. You know. Yes. Yeah. Completely agree. Completely agree. So I've been looking at your knives today online, which, you know, they are beautiful, really, really beautiful things. Um, I appreciate that. And I've, I've seen some of your chef knives with, with an almost sort of Scandi type grind on them rather than the, the, mm-hmm. the classic full flat. Um, so that was the question, really. You know, do, do you prefer a full flat grind, you know, all the way to the hilt or do you like a, a little Ricasso or do you like the Scandi type grind? Or, what, what's I like your... it. I like it. I like it fully. I mean, what I make is what I like. Yeah. Um, I, I like it, you know the least amount of resistance that I could that I could get you know working with um production or you know um mass produced knives all of them are super super thick at the top hmm. or they they seem super thick at the top and that and it doesn't really you know m- my idea is to be able to get it and it not stick onto the blade that way I'm not wiping it off and there's a chance that I'll cut my finger off yes yeah um that it keeps moving hmm. so that was my next question actually about about food release on the blade so what type of grind would you say works best for that? I would say a flat grind. I mean, mm. that's, you know, a full, a full flat, you know, if you can do it, a Scandi, if you have to, you know, kind of go in between there. But I mean, I, I know people that do a, a hollow grind in there and they, they, they live and die by that. But I think that causes other issues yeah. down the road whenever you go to resharpen a knife or if you've got, you know, if somebody keeps a knife over a number of years, I've found that, 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 that back towards where the Ricasso and the heel meet at down there at the bottom, that you can get like a little arch in there that hmm. that's super, super hard to get out. And it's not very uh, becoming to trying to chop something back towards that heel. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. That's good. That's good to know. Good to know. Um, what's, what's, I feel like I'm just drilling you with questions here. So I've got a chef no, on the no, mind. No, no, so no, no, gonna... no. This is fun. <laughs> so I'm just going to drill him with questions. Um, so what about a, a sort of fattened bolster? Um, you know, obviously it's all personal preference, but do you like, a, you know, a big fat bolster, you know, with a bit of, bit of width to it, or do you like something a bit thinner? So you do a nice little pinch, pinch. I like up. a, I like, I like a pinch and, and the more that I cut and the more that I do, um, I actually come a, even higher up on that pinch and go from that, you know, the, the classic finger, uh, pointer finger thumb. Hmm. I'll even get that middle finger, um, middle finger thumb pointer finger kind of up high Mm. and that's just it just to me it gives me the ultimate amount of control with those three little those three fingers yeah i like a a coke bottle shape i guess is the best way to explain it yes yes so that sort of taper down into the middle kind of thing yeah yes sir okay okay Um, and and handles um do you like a bit of a recurve so they're curving back down or you know a nice straight straight i suppose with a japanese i like a recurve really yeah i like a recurve yes i do i do yeah, yeah, I do. The, the Japanese style to me is is I like a D shaped handle. I'm I'm not I'm not very good at making it, um, mm. but I, I I do kind of like that. But I like the I like the recurvy, you know, kind of like a car line. You know, like uh, you know, people ask me like where I get some of my influences from, and a lot of the influences I get come from the the automotive industry, the way that it flows and kind of goes. Yes, yeah. you know, beautiful aerodynamics. If you were to put like a uh, an air jet over the top of something yeah. <laughs> or t- over the top of the knife if it would do it. Yeah. You know, I, I kind of <laughs> like that. I've, I've just done some knives this week, actually, which have a, like a, quite a severe recurve down to them. 
Um, and mm-hmm. they, they just, I've never done one, you know, with that much of a severe curve. And it does feel really nice, really, really nice. Yeah. So, so maybe my sort of standard range will, will develop a bit more of a curve. Yeah. 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 Okay, so we, we've talked about using the knives in the kitchen, but you obviously do other styles of knives too, don't you? Such as hunter-style knives. Um, to be honest with you, the reason that I do the hunter-style knives is the um, the mentors that I've had along the way. Um, everybody told me, you know, I, I got out, I was fresh off the uh, the wagon, I guess if you would say, hmm. and I wanted to make a chef's knife, and I failed like seven times. <laughs> and then I said, you know what, I've got to go find somebody that knows how to do this because there's people that do. And they told me, you know, you've got to pay your dues and you've got to make small knives yeah, before yeah. you make the big ones. I've spoken to a um, lot of people who've started and they've got maybe a you know piece of two millimeter stock and they're going to make a chef knife as their very first knife. And it's like, wow, you know. Yeah, you just hold your head to... and you just like <laughs> shake it because you know the headache that they're getting ready to have. <laughs> yeah, so I, I completely see. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Um, people have, uh, to answer the question, I guess the people, people have fell in, I mean, I don't want to say they've fallen in love. I mean, I've got a little following, but they, um, they really enjoy the small, I call it a guppy. It's a playoff of, a, um, one of my mentors knives. I made it slightly different that way. I wasn't completely copying him, but, um, you know, people have, they like them. So I continue to make them. Um, but you know, my ultimate goal when I first got started was to, you know, be able to pay for the materials, be able to pay for, you know to be able to make the next batch, I guess, because like we spoke about earlier, you just get, you get hooked and, and you kind of, you got to figure out how to get that next fix, you know? Yeah. Okay. Okay. So uh, actually talking about your hunter knives, the, I've noticed the leather sheaves that you, that you do as well. Do, do you make them personally? Absolutely. Wow. Wow. I do. Some incredible work there. Yeah. Leather works a different, um, I, I didn't know that I would be into it, but it's, uh, I've gotten into it and it's kind of a Zen thing that you don't really have to, there's not all this machinery going on and you can kind of turn on your music and just listen and go. Hmm. Um, and a lot cleaner as well, I'd imagine. <laughs> absolutely. A whole lot cleaner. <laughs> <laughs> so, so with your, with your knives, are they generally commissioned or do you, do you try to make a big batch, then sell them off? Um, how, I, how I usually work? try to make, um, I've actually just recently take my, took my, taken my first commission. Uh, a gentleman wanted a, uh, a, uh, I live in southeastern North Carolina, so hmm. it, it, some people claim that it's the barbecue, one of the barbecue capitals of the world. But uh, <laughs> I had a gentleman that asked for a, uh, a cleaver for his father for Christmas. And uh, normally I don't do it. Normally I make what I want to make. And if you want one, you can get one. If not, yeah. I'm okay with that too, you know. But I usually make them in batches in between, you know, seven to, to 15 or 20. Wow, pretty large batches then too, yeah. Yes, sir. That, I was told by, again, some mentors that if you, you know, the more repetition you get, you know, you become a better knife maker. If you can do, if you can grind 10 knives in one day, you kind of, you learn and you, you jump over some, some hurdles that you, that you go through, I guess. That's a really good point, actually. Yeah, because I'm generally doing batches of sort of four or five at a time of, the, you know, of a similar style knife. Um, mm-hmm. but you, you certainly do. You're right. You get into a groove, don't you? So, you know, if you're doing larger batches, that's, that's, that's got to be beneficial. It is. I, I found it to be beneficial. You know, when I first started, I would make one or two knives and I would mess up on one and, and, and one would be good. But now the more that I've done, I found out that, you know, that all of them are, all of them fit, you know, they might not be a perfect knife to everybody, but they fit the standard of what my customers are looking for. Yes. Yeah. 
Yeah. Okay. So are you normally working alone? Um, do you have somebody else um, in the shop with you? Or how does that no, work? No, I'm normally working alone. Hmm. Hmm. And it can be a pretty lonely job, can't it? <laughs> it can be. It can be. Um, but it's, again, it's a labor of love. I, I think you would agree with that. Yeah, yeah. And I actually prefer being on my own making as well because, uh, you, you know, you get into this sort of flow where you just you – don't, you don't have to worry about what other people are thinking and what other people are looking at. You can just you can just get on with it, you know? Yes, sir. Yeah. So is there much of a knife-making community where you live? Um, I would say that North Carolina is probably um... – in the in the states is pound per pound one of the, the has one of the richest knife communities in in the country. Oh, fantastic! I mean, we have probably there's probably five to seven um, ABS master smiths. There's a whole host of uh, journeyman smiths. Um, we have a a very a very large guild that covers a large area. But I mean, you know, if you start looking for um, we have a huge tactical knife making community mm. um, with all the army bases and military installations that are in our state. You know, it's uh, I would I would put it up to Arkansas or Texas or places like that because I talk to people. You know, this this uh, social media thing has opened up the world to everybody, and you start talking to people that are in different parts of the world because they're asking questions about what you're doing or you're asking them questions about you know, what they're doing. And I get a lot of people that ask me, you know, how do I start? Where do I go? And I kind of talk, tell them how I got started. And they, they say, well, we don't, we don't have that here. We don't have a, a group. We don't have people, you know, down the road that we can go talk to. And, uh, I feel very fortunate to be where I am. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's very nice. And I mean, you mentioned the sort of the ABS kind of route of doing things there. Um, mm -hmm. which, you know, over here in Europe, we don't really have that. There's no, there's no sort of benchmark to reach. Um, it's, you know, people, people of different levels and so on. So tell us about that, the, the sort of the ABS apprenticeship, apprenticeship. How does that work? Um, and I could be wrong. I'm not looking exactly at it, but you start, um, you have to sign up. You have to sign up through the ABS, become a member. Um, uh, you go through an apprenticeship of, uh, you know, it's it's three years if you don't take a intro to bladesmithing class. It's two years if you do. Um, at that point, you can test for your journeyman smith, and that involves a uh, a knife performance test. Um, it has to be able to cut through two two by fours. You have to be able to shave your arm hair. You have to be able to cut through a uh, a certain size rope. And then you have to be able to bend it 90 degrees without breaking it. Hmm. Um, and then you actually have a a knife. You have to turn in knives to be judged by some of the greatest knife makers in the world, um, either in Atlanta or in Kansas City, um, to move past that that part. I'm not there yet. I haven't quite put in my time to take the test, but um, I have. I want to be a journeyman. I don't. I don't. I don't anticipate going to the master smith level just because I don't know that it benefits me. Yes. That yeah. much. Yeah. And, and do you think your customers are looking for this benchmark? Um, I don't think my current customers are, but I think that the, there are customers out there that are. Right. Yeah. I think that outside of my sphere, I think there are there are more customers to be gained by doing that. Got you. Okay. Okay. Cool. Cool. So, so what's on your bench today? What, what's the current project? Um, I've got about nine um, chef knives that I'm doing in uh, AEBL, and I have two smaller 
or excuse me, three smaller Santuco styles um, that I'm gonna gonna put out there. Um, I've found that the paring knife hasn't really uh, sold that well for me. Um, the bigger knives are the ones that usually tend to move faster. So I've had some requests for Christmas, and I also have this big, huge um, cleaver thing that's out there that I'm kind of uh, intimidated on how I'm going to grind that bad boy. <laughs> <laughs> I find it very similar, actually, where the smaller knives don't sell as well as the larger knives. Um, and, you know, yep. they're, obviously, they're obviously cheaper to produce, cheaper to sell. Uh, but people generally want, you know, that, that big knife in the kitchen, you know, their main knife. And I, I went through it and back to the, the culinary side of it. You know, when I was first in school and coming out of school, um, the first, like, nice knife that I bought that wasn't in my kit was a, uh, was a Perry knife. Hmm. You know, and I don't know if that was a, a, a financial thing or if that was a, you know, that was just where my eyes gravitated to. And then I went up to the big guys. But, you know, the first knife that I bought that wasn't in my kit was a paring knife. And yeah. I thought that more people would do that. But Yeah. Well, they, I mean, there's not much that a paring knife can't do. But there's obviously a lot of things that, you know, a large, maybe 35 centimeter chef knife can't do. You know, absolutely. Yeah, but yeah, I do find people are just wanting wanting this big sort of statement piece in their kitchen. I've seen you had some steak knives. I've not ventured down that road yet. Um, yeah, I think that's kind of kind of neat. I don't know that I mine aren't all exactly the same. I haven't. Um, I've had some knives um, drawn on AutoCAD for me that I need to have water jet cut out. But at the time of year, it is. It wouldn't benefit me to do that now, so I'm going to wait until the beginning of the year and, you know, kind of beef up for my, my Father's Day slash Valentine's Day slash Mother's Day run. Yes. I'm going to have yeah. those water jet cut out, but, um, you know, all my knives are similar. They're not all exactly the same, which I guess gives you that, you know, this cookie-cutter world of everything that we see out there yeah. gives it a little bit of character. Yeah, and pretty much the same with me. All my knives are different, um, but this this is a Christmas order, so somebody's ordered um, four steak knives. Um, so yeah, getting them all exactly the same has been a bit of a challenge actually. So the, I mean, the profile isn't too bad because you can, you know, you can stick two, two blanks together and, you know, and grind those out together. Um, yeah. but when it comes then to, um, your bevels and so on, getting them all exactly the same is, yeah, it, it, it's, it's taken some time. Um, but yeah, I'm really happy with the result actually. So I think that they maybe... look really good. I've seen them this morning. They, uh, that's pretty neat. I, uh, I haven't ventured down that road yet, and I don't, I don't know how I would tackle it, but uh, I would, you know, if you, like you said, it's very hard to make the bevels the same. Yes. And I guess that's yeah. what we all shoot for. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but I just think, you know, with regards to, on a sort of commercial basis, um, you know, to me, you know, having a lovely steak is, is, a, is a special, you know, it's a special meal. Um, Absolutely. So my thing is, well, let, let's have a special knife for the special meal. So I'm, I'm hoping that's going to, um yeah i'm hoping i'll be able to sell a lot more of them are you going to make like a little fancy box for them to go in or how are you going to present them um, oh you know that's a real uh, a real pain of mine at the moment um the packaging um and i've spoken about this on a few of the shows where yeah that, it's, I, I heard that it's really difficult to, like you just said well you know most of the knives that we do are completely individual so you know it's difficult to get a um, a system for packaging where you know you can you can always do because every knife is going to be different, different sizes, different weights, and so on. Um, so up till now, I've just been giving everything a sort of a Hessian wrap, um, as a, as a sort of sacking, you know, and you know, a leather wrap around that, and just putting them in cardboard tubes. 
the packaging. Okay. Um, but yeah. I just think I really need to up my game. Um, um, and I know in the US you've got things like packlane.com and these different things where you can buy custom. Pack- I've looked through those though, and not trying to interrupt you, but most of them, like the only thing that I can find that's a true knife box hmm. is a knife box for um, uh, evidence for a criminal investigation kind of oh. thing. And I'm like, I don't, <laughs> I don't know that I want to send out my knife in that kind of, you know. Yeah. I hope that none of my knives ever make it to that kind of. I hope I didn't get my fame from that. Um, <laughs> what I've found with the uh, with my larger knives and the, you know, the I guess the knives that crack that 150 to you know 150 dollar threshold, hmm. I actually give them to the person whether they're in a sheath or not. Um, I give them to them in a, uh, you know, the felt bags that you can get like the knife bags. Oh yes, yes, yeah. Yes. So um, I found a place that I can get those rather inexpensive. Um, and I actually give them that in a bag. Yes. Oh, I suppose. Yes. Yeah. Because they're generally going to go into a knife sort of roll anyway, aren't they? I would think so. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, that's, I've never never considered that that approach before. Let's talk about one of our sponsors, Tormac. To get great razor sharp and repeatable edges, you're going to need a Tormac. To find out more, go to Tormac.com, which is T-O-R-M-E-K.com. Okay, let's get back to the show. I thought that maybe, um, you know, I've started selling a lot of knives to, to housewives hmm. um, or, you know, the, the Food Network changed this whole thing for all of us. You know, we all had Julia Child and Jacques Pepin and stuff. But the Food Network, to me, has blown everything. Oh, yes. Up. Yeah. You know, you know, it's made it's made chefs into even humble. You know, I consider myself a cook, but, you know, I am a. I am a chef, but, you know, I think that word gets thrown around a lot, but the Food Network has propelled us all into superstars. Yeah. And now these people see these knives and now they want fancy knives because they do all this crazy cooking at home that they never did before. Yeah. So I feel that a lot of the the housewives that I sell knives to and I give them that bag, um, they actually have somewhere to put their, you know, they're putting their jewelry somewhere very nice. Now they have somewhere to put their knife. That's hmm. very, you know, plush and feels good and has somewhere to sit and then they can show it off. Yeah, 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 yeah. That's really good. I said, I've never considered the, the bag before, but um, but like you said, everybody's a chef these days, you know? Yep. And, you know, it's like everybody's got an iPhone, so everybody's a photographer these days, but now everybody sees all these shows on TV, and which is great because it's getting people cooking again. And I think particularly the last maybe 10, 15 years, it's great that more and more people are, are cooking and, you know, having pleasure in cooking. And yeah, it's great. It's great. It's brought back all these ingredients that we, that we forgot about. Yes. You know, yeah. it's forgotten, you know, all these things that were, you know, you being really close to Paris, you're in a, you're in a, in a Mecca where you can get all these, these different neat things. But, you know, even where I live at, it's, um, I'm in like a, a sort of a beach bedroom community and there's, you go to the grocery store and, and 10 or 15 years ago, you went through the produce section and there was, there was carrots, there was onions, there was mm. potatoes, there was cucumbers. But now you go and there's, there's baby bok choy and, and Napa cabbage and three different colored asparagus and yeah. <laughs> fingerling potatoes. It's absolutely incredible. It is. And what's really great is that, you know, the sort of food miles are people are starting to pay attention to that. So people yep. are shopping more locally and they're getting more sort of local produce. And yeah, yep. all fantastic. And that comes back to us, too. You know, you get people that, hey, I want something that's made by somebody's hands. Hmm. I want something that's made by, you know, Craig that's right down the road from me. 
Exactly. Which is yeah. which is awesome. Yeah, yeah. Okay, that's great. Well, so where can people find you online if they want to see your knives and they want to they contact you about a knife? Where can they find you? Um, most of my stuff has been on Instagram. I'm uh, it's Nicholas <laughs> or it's Nichols N I C H underscore family forge, and uh, that's where most of my stuff comes to. People private message me, um, and I also have a Facebook page. I don't really have a large following on that, but that's uh. That's under uh, Nicholas Nichols Knives, which I'm sure is very confusing. Um, <laughs> but most everything that I get goes through my uh, my Instagram. Yes, sir. I've, I've looked into websites, but I haven't haven't made that jump yet. Um, you know, I have a whole, whole lot of goals for 2018, hmm. um, and that being one of them. Yeah, it is just amazing how Instagram is. You know, for such a, a little sort of niche group of people, who are, you know, knife makers and chefs how Instagram is just sort of, it's just, it's just run away. It's run a mile, you know? It's, it's amazing how many people, how many people from both sides of that world hmm. intermingle with each other. You yeah, know, um, yeah. you have these little moments like where you feel, you feel, uh, I don't want to say famous, but you get, um, I've got a couple big name chefs that actually follow my stuff. And these guys have, you know, a hundred thousand followers and, hmm they're looking at my knives and i'm like whoa what's how's this happening what's going on here it's <laughs> and it's the power of instagram yeah and it makes you up your game too it does 100 yeah. percent. yeah okay so I, i'm gonna wrap up with the final question that i ask everybody so okay. of, of all the resources that are out there for knife makers such as we've mentioned instagram and forums and youtube and all the rest of it where do you find your inspiration and from whom um my mentor is a gentleman named scott mcgee he is an ABS master smith um, just down the road from me. Um, I reached out to him a few years ago, and he kind of he kind of took me underneath his wings. He didn't want to at first, um, but I, I made him like me, uh, my lovable personality. <laughs> um, but I, I, I look to um, – I think if you make a chef knife and you don't look up to Bob Kramer, um, there I don't know if you have a pulse. Um, Bob Kramer, I, I – his story and mine are so familiar. Um, yeah. You know, I have severe dyslexia, and he he talks about that in some of his some of his uh, his commentaries. And I look to him. Um, you know, Alex Steele is one of those guys. Um, Walter Sorrells, which I guess all these guys have been on your show, but uh, also in the automotive industry, I look back to the guys from the fifties and sixties. You know, the Lee Iacocas and the you know, the Enzo Ferraris and those guys and those beautiful lines that they had. And hmm. I kind of go back and look at those guys and try to figure out how can I make a knife look like that? Yeah. You know, these big swooping mid-century modern looking cars. That's really good to hear, actually, because I come from a design background and um, I see a lot of what I, as I do is it's still design, you know. So my, my workshop yeah. is generally called my studio. And, you know, I go there and I, I design things, physical things. So it's, it's really nice to hear you talking about, you know, inspiration from not just knife makers, from from designers, from, you know, from other disciplines, too. Yes. Um, I, I, I would say I would say that those are the main ones. But, you know, you kind of look to I would say cars more than anything, you know, being, you know, Americans, we have this love affair with with the automobiles and whether mm -hmm. we express it through what we drive or we express it through, you know, what we what we have around us. But uh, 
a lot of my inspiration comes from, you know, the swooping lines of a car or the swooping lines of an airplane or a boat or something along that, you know, Mm -hmm. if it can cut through the water or cut through the air or speed down the road, to be sure it can cut through a carrot, you know? (laughs) (laughs) That's the, that's the quote that I'm going to use. So everybody on everybody's show uh, on their website, they have one quote, which is, which is sort of highlighted. And that's the one. (laughs) That's the one we're going to use for this show. But I like that. Thank you so much for taking the time out. Um, It's, you know, it's a Sunday. It's it's a traditional day off for everybody. Um, But thank you so much for taking the time out. And and hopefully we speak again soon. Yes, sir. I, uh, I am greatly appreciative of the opportunity. And uh, I hope it lives up to what everybody else has done. But I'm humbled to be able to be on your channel. And that comes from the bottom of my heart. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.